The Ultimate Leap by Penny Jeffrey. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. August 12, 1999. It was a peaceful feeling. In fact, it was very similar to what he experienced in Between Leaps. Yet he was still unable to make use of all his five senses. Did that mean he hadn't arrived at his destination? Dr. Sam Beckett started to panic a little, wondering if perhaps this time he wouldn't wake up ever again and would remain floating in time and space for all eternity. Then he heard a faint beeping sound, and something told him it was an ECG monitor. He also realised the pauses in between the beeps were very far apart, so whoever was hooked up to the machine was quite ill, as it was recording their very weak heartbeat. He opened his eyes and realised he was staring straight up into fluorescent lighting, which made him blink considerably, so his pupils could adjust to the glare. He looked to the left of himself, saw the monitor and immediately noticed the barely visual heart rate displayed on the screen. He then realised it was his own heart, or rather the persons with whom he'd swapped places in time with. Becoming more aware of his surroundings, he now knew where he was. I'm in a hospital. Other sounds penetrated his ears and he noticed he was hooked up to a life support machine. This was serious. Whoever he'd leaped into must be gravely ill. Maybe he'd been involved in some kind of accident. So I'm here to revive the patient to make him well again. Sam sat up, swung his legs over the bed and got onto his feet. After all, he wasn't ill. But the poor guy in the waiting room would need all the expert medical attention he could get from his colleagues on the Quantum Leap project. 
Maybe that's why he'd leaped. So this person could get the best treatment modern technology could give that he couldn't receive in his own time, whenever that was. Looking to his right, he noticed a small shaving mirror on top of a bedside cabinet and was just about to pick it up so he could see the person's image when suddenly a door appeared in the room and slid open, revealing an interior of bright light. Sam smiled and waited for his friend Al to greet him and fill him in on what was happening. A few minutes passed and no one came out of the door, much to Sam's surprise and slight annoyance. Al, if this is a joke, then ha-ha, very funny, he said flatly. Still nobody showed themselves, and the door remained open. Al, he shouted, what are you playing at? There was no answer from his friend. Sam frowned and continued to stare into the light. Almost at once, he felt a sudden, powerful urge to enter through the doorway. That's absurd, he told himself. It's the hologrammatic door, so I'll just walk straight through it. Even his Swiss cheese brain remembered that much. Still, as he spoke, he felt compelled towards it. He took several steps forward and found himself in the doorway. Filled with a mixture of doubt as well as curiosity, Sam stepped inside. If he'd turned round at that point, he would probably have received the shock of his life. For there lying on the hospital bed was the man he'd leaped into, still hooked up to the life support machine that was keeping him alive. Sam had never realised that when he got up and walked toward the door that had appeared, he was no longer hooked up to the life support machine. The man in the bed looked extremely pale, and his heartbeat had slowed down considerably, so much so that it was barely audible on the ECG. Everything pointed to the fact that he was very close to death. To Sam's complete astonishment, he discovered he'd walked into an intensely bright light, where the heck was the intensive care room? He was supposed to have walked straight through back into the hospital again, but he hadn't. Instead, he was surrounded in light. For one brief hopeful second, he thought he was home, but that soon passed when he remembered the fluorescent lighting in the imaging chamber had never been this bright, ever. So what on earth was happening to him? Sam started to become very worried and swallowed hard. This was unlike anything he'd ever experienced on one of his leaps. Just then the door to the future appeared, taking Sam by complete surprise. Hadn't he just walked through it? A few moments later, Al Calavici stepped out, a concerned look etched on his face. Sam noticed this and began to worry even more. Al, what's going on? I don't understand. Neither did Ziggy at first, Al replied, the tone of his voice matching the look he was giving his friend. Sam, we've been working overtime trying to find you. Sam interrupted the Admiral, confused. What do you mean you've spent ages trying to find me? It's only been several minutes or so since I got here. Obviously, during this leap, the physicist had forgotten a part of his theory on time travel, so Al reminded him, Don't you remember, time passes differently for us than it does for you? No, Sam replied. Well, anyway, we couldn't fathom out why Ziggy was taking so long in pinpointing you. I mean, you leaped into 1999 at first. Al hesitated, stared at the hand link, then knocked it against his side, causing it to squeal in protest. Sam's eyes widened with excitement. I leaped into my own year. He paused and his look changed to a frown. Al, what do you mean, at first? Where am I now? 
Um, it's not very easy to explain, Al replied, tapping the keypad on the hand link and rechecking Ziggy's information was correct. He couldn't believe what he was reading. That's impossible. Sam was becoming more and more impatient. What's impossible? Al, what the hell is going on? He stopped to think for a brief moment, then carried on while the Admiral continued to give the jumble of cubes in his hand a firm knock, causing it to shriek most indignantly. Al, I walked through the door. He stopped to allow a brief wave of emotion to pass over him. I thought I was home. The Admiral closed his eyes for a second. How he wished he could say to him, Yes, Sam, you're home, but that would not be the truth. Instead, he shook his head solemnly. It wasn't the door to the chamber you walked through, Sam. Dr Beckett looked very puzzled. Then whose door was it? The reason Ziggy took a while to find you, Al carried on, was because we discovered the man you leaped into is in a coma, very close to death. Al, what the heck are you saying? Sam asked nervously. I'm saying... He paused and looked down at the hand link. Well, actually, this information I've just received is telling me that you leaped in just as the guy's spirit was leaving its earthly body. Al replied, finding it rather difficult to believe what he was telling his friend. You kind of, um, merged with his soul. I kind of what? Sam, you're, you're in a state of limbo. The lights on the hand link flashed in some sort of sequence, then it bleeped a few times. Al stared at it in astonishment. According to Ziggy, you're on the border between life and death. Dr. Sam Beckett could not believe what Al was trying to explain to him. This was all too crazy for words, but he still managed to utter a shocked, Oh boy! Sam took several deep breaths in order to steady himself after receiving the news of his whereabouts. Al was right. It was impossible to believe he was no longer on earth but trapped in limbo. He stared all around him but there was no structure as such that he could make out. Just a very bright light. Sam began to pace up and down on what he wasn't quite sure. It certainly didn't feel like a solid floor. He turned and faced the Admiral who was in the process of knocking seven bells out of the hand link. How did I get here? The tension in his voice was very prominent, but at the same time there was also a subdued hint of excitement. Well, he was a scientist, an explorer of the mind and its infinite possibilities. His whole reason for existing was to try and understand the wonders of creation. How many people got the chance to find the answers regarding the afterlife? Suddenly a chill ran through every nerve fibre in his body. Was he here because he was dead? Ziggy doesn't have enough data to give you a clear answer, Al replied with a confused look. All she keeps repeating is that you're in a state of limbo. Then that must be it, Sam whispered, feeling very afraid. Albert Calavici sensed the physicist's bout of fear, and he too felt rather nervous. What must be? he asked quietly. Ask Ziggy. He paused and closed his eyes briefly. What are the chances of the experiment going completely wrong? and therefore causing my own termination. Al looked horrified. Sam, that's not funny. I'm not being funny, the scientist said sharply. Just ask her, will you? OK. Al punched a few buttons on the keypad, not wishing to know the computer's answer, just in case everything had totally screwed up. There was a gentle wail from the device in his hand. He looked down at the screen and then across at his friend. You're not exactly dead. You're suspended. Between life and death. 
Sam was relieved to hear that at least he wasn't dead, but even so, this was still a strange, if not alarming, place to be stuck. He looked at the hologram of the Admiral. Al, you've got to find out why I'm here so I can do whatever I've been sent to do, then leave. His mind revered back to the hospital room he'd found himself in before he'd walked through the strange door. Who did I leap into? Find out any background information you have on the guy. Why is he in a coma? Maybe if I knew that, we could figure a way to get him out of it. I'll find some answers somehow, I replied, trying to sound convincing. I'll take Ziggy apart if I have to. Even though it was a worrying situation to be in, Sam managed to smile. Then an important question suddenly dawned on him. How on earth did you find me? The quantum physicist was extremely grateful to his best friend and the rest of the project for working out exactly where he was, even though, strictly speaking, it wasn't on the planet Earth. I'm not sure, was Al's weak reply. I mean, I entered the imaging chamber after Ziggy centred me in on the hospital. He changed the subject. Incidentally, you were in Mercy Hospital, Los Angeles. In my own time? Then I was roughly 800 miles away from Stallion's Gate, New Mexico. The project? Al lowered his head. Approximately, yes, you were. The Admiral bit his lip and cursed silently. It didn't seem fair that Sam should have leaped in so close to home, only to have then been sent to the spirit world. He only hoped the computer and the personnel on the Quantum Leap project could get him back, somehow. He returned to what he'd originally been trying to explain to Sam, only he knew it wouldn't be much help. Ziggy must have miscalculated and zeroed me in on limbo land instead. Sam Beckett frowned. How is that possible? What do you mean? I doubt very much Ziggy has records on the afterlife in her data banks, so how could she send her image here? The hologram shook his head and shrugged. I don't know. The physicist continued his line of reasoning with, I created Ziggy as a scientific experiment that would rely on factual information, not fantasy, psychic phenomenons, Ouija boards, tarot cards, ghosts and things that go bump in the night. Uh-huh, Al muttered, not really quite knowing how to react. Then the handling emitted a few squeaks. What does Ziggy say? Sam asked, hoping the computer had a resolute answer. She says, the fact is, you're in limbo. I'll breathe heavily in annoyance. Gee, that's a great help. Dr Beckett started to pace once more. There had to be a logical explanation for all this. There just had to be. Then again, what was logical about being in limbo? Absolutely nothing whatsoever as far as he could see. Sam was just beginning to feel completely out of his depth when an idea came to him. He whirled around and walked up to the Admiral, almost stepping through him. We know Ziggy isn't fully responsible for my leaps, is she? He asked, wanting reassurance he was right in his statement. Um, that's correct, Al replied, taking several steps backwards so as to avoid contact. He still wasn't used to people walking through him, unless, of course, she happened to be an attractive young lady but we're not exactly sure who is responsible for your leaping around in time. Sam allowed the corners of his mouth to turn up just slightly. I think I do know now. He looked at his holographic friend, then added, It's God. The Admiral couldn't remember the last time Sam had resorted to a religious explanation. Usually he had a scientific justification for almost everything. That's one theory, he conceded. No, don't you see, Al? It was all starting to become clear for Sam. I'm here, on the borderline between life and death. I'm in his waiting room, if you like. Al nodded, even though he didn't fully understand.
Albert Calavici had never been a strongly religious man after his father Guido had died of cancer. He'd begged night and day for him to recover, but his prayers were never answered. That was when he lost his faith, until an incident occurred during the time Sam leaped into the body of a priest. Al remembered hearing three gunshots as he'd stepped out of the door and seeing Sam lying in the aisle of the chapel. He'd crouched down and tried to hold him, but because it was a hologram, his arms had passed right through his friend. In the end, he'd knelt by Sam's side and prayed the scientist wasn't dead. That prayer had been answered, much to his relief, so maybe there was a God who listened. Perhaps he was also in charge of Sam's leaps. So you're in his waiting room and the guy in the coma is in ours? I guess so, Sam replied. I'll go back and find out who the guy is. Surely Ziggy will have a profile on him and then at least we'll know why he's comatose. Okay. Al pressed the keypad and the door to the future appeared. Stepping inside, he turned and looked back at his friend. Hang in there, Sam. I'll be back as soon as I can. The door closed, leaving Sam alone in a strange place unfamiliar to him. Still, he had to believe he was in safe hands. Looking up into the light, he cried, Why am I here, God? What does he want me to do? Please tell me. The Quantum Leap Laboratory lay deep in the heart of central New Mexico, buried beneath a vast area of desert. It had been there now for over four years, ever since Dr. Beckett had given the go-ahead to lay the foundations of his scientific dream in the early 1990s. Looking at it from the outside, one would have been fooled into thinking it was a mountain of rocks, viewed from a considerable distance. On closer inspection, it did have a rather unnatural appearance, which proved it was man-made. Underneath approximately 150 feet of earth were a number of rooms on various levels, connected to one another by elongated hexagon-shaped corridors, which could be reached by several elevators. The airlock door slid upwards, and Admiral Albert Calavici walked from the buffer zone straight into the pulsating heart of the project, the central control room. This was a large, spacious area dominated by a version of the handlink ten feet long and five feet wide. Above hung a blue and silver ball which seemed to be suspended in mid-air. The rest of the room was taken up with bits of Ziggy, who kept complete records of just over 40 years' worth of the world's history. Fifty feet below the room were the design officers, the guts of the main computer. Gushi, who was standing behind the multi-hued table of cubes, intercepted Al somewhat concerned. Admiral, how can Dr. Beckett be trapped between heaven and hell? That's a good question, Al replied a little proudly. The head programmer was the only member of the team who dressed him in such a manner. It gave him a sense of purpose and a feeling of authority. I only wish we had an answer, he added somewhat dumbfounded. So much for being in charge. He looked up and faced the kaleidoscope of various shades of the colour blue that were emanating from the centre of the now illuminated silver ball that hung in mid-air above him. Ziggy? Yes, Admiral, came the soft, almost sensual feminine tones. Allard sometimes pictured the computer as a flesh-and-blood woman, tall, sexy, and someone who had the annoying habit of never experiencing any guilt feelings, while at the same time always believing she was right about everything. No, having a real woman like that would almost certainly drive him crazy. Actually, Ziggy had already managed to do just that on numerous occasions. Once he'd almost taken a wrench to her. Oh, it had been so very tempting, but it would have been lethal for Sam. He smirked. If Sam ever did come back, he'd take the computer down a peg or two. 
I'd like a complete profile on the guy Sam's leaped into. There was a brief pause, then Ziggy spoke with an air of indifference. His name is Andrew Lomax, 47 years old, and at present he is in a deep coma in Mercy Hospital, Los Angeles, California, in the year 1999. I glared at the pulsating patter. Yes, we all know that! Gushy corrected the Admiral slightly. At least we have a name, and we know how old he is now. I suppose we should be grateful for that. Al winced a little. All right, but do we know anything about his background? Ziggy pondered a while. That is all the information I have at present, Admiral. I will require more time if I am to gain any further input, as I am still in the process of running through Mr Lomax's past history. Well, could you possibly speed things up? I was getting rather irritated. He faced Gushy. As soon as Ziggy comes up with anything else, let me know. I'm going to find Dr Beeks to see if there's any change in the waiting room. He didn't wait for a reply and left the control room in a huff.